0: Hey, my name's Hayden Carroll. Welcome to the Faithful Perspective Podcast, a series where we discuss together those key gospel principles that lead to a successful, joyful, and productive life for Latter-day Saints and friends. Before we jump into anything, I want to give you an invitation. Do you know a Latter-day Saint who is passionate about something gospel-related? Do you know somebody who others could benefit from getting inside their head? If you know somebody that I might be able to interview on our Faithful Perspective podcast, please email me their information at faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. That's faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Faithful Perspective podcast. You're not going to want to miss out on my conversation with David Sell today in a moment. But before we jump into that interview, I just want to share a story. It's actually a story within a story uh, to convey the principle or the topic that we're about to uh, discuss with David Sell. When I was a missionary, a full-time missionary in Salt Lake, one of my uh, areas was North Salt Lake. And in that area, I met a man who uh, was what I would consider a gospel scholar. And uh, he was actually our ward mission leader, and we actually lived with him. Uh, We lived in his basement. Uh, He's a wonderful man. And one of the uh, many of the many conversations that we had with him, one time he told us a story to convey to us the principle about the importance of seeking truth or learning how to seek truth, which is our topic today with David Sell. And the story goes like this. When he was a missionary, I want to say this was in the early 70s, before, apparently this is what he told us. Before the newly called missionaries went out into the field, into their assigned areas, President Kimball, who was the prophet of the time, he had a wonderful tradition that before they went out, he wanted to uh, and, and did invite them to the upper room of the Salt Lake City Temple for some instruction from himself, from the prophet. And, uh, you know, he rather he'd meet for, you know, half an hour for an hour, he would give them some sort of instruction. And then what he would do is towards the end, he would actually open it up for a question and answer a Q&A. He, he would say, you know, elders and sisters, you have the opportunity now to ask me any question you want, any gospel related question you want, and I will uh, answer your question for you. So one by one, the missionaries would raise their hand, and this is and this is what he told us. This is how it would go. The first missionary would raise their hand, and they'd say, President Kimball, uh, what, what can you teach us about faith? You're, you're the prophet. You must know a lot about faith. You must have gained a lot of faith in your life. What can you teach us about faith? And uh, here's how President Kimball would respond. He would say, all right, Elders and sisters, uh, you're, you're missionaries. You should have your scriptures with you. Would you open up your scriptures to the Book of Mormon with me? Would you go to Alma 32? And let's read from starting in verse 21. Let's read a little bit about faith and see what we can learn about faith. And uh, he would teach them from the scriptures, from the words of Alma for, you know, two, three, four minutes. And uh, after giving them instruction from the book, from the scripture uh, block, he would say, "Elder, sister, does that answer your question? And they would say, absolutely. He'd say, great, next question. Another missionary would raise their hand and they would say, President Kimball, what can you teach us about knowing if the Book of Mormon is true? I believe the Book of Mormon is true, but I'm not sure if I know. How can I come to know for myself? And President Kimball paused and said, That's a wonderful question. You guys have your scriptures. Would you open up to Moroni chapter 10 and let's read verses three and four and let's have a conversation about it? So they would do that. They'd turn their scriptures and they'd uh, read for two or three or four minutes. And then after giving some instruction from the prophet, uh, from the scripture, he would say, elder sister, does that answer your question? And they would say, absolutely. And they'd sit down and, you know, another missionary would raise their hand and they'd say, president Kimball, what we always talk about agency. And back then they called it free agency agency. Now we call it moral agency. And he, they would say, what can you say about agency? You know, you obviously know about agency, what it has to do with the plan of salvation, right? The war in heaven. You know, you're the prophet. Teach us what from your life experiences. What can you teach us about agency? And can you guess what he did? He said, "Would you guys open up with me to Second Nephi chapter two, and let's learn from the uh, words of Lehi. Let's learn about agency. Let's learn about the plan of salvation. Let's learn about what that has to do with you. How to use your agency righteously. What opposition is, and how that plays in the role in, in agency." And he he taught them for two or three or four minutes, and uh, he said, you know, at the end of it, the Elder Sister, does that answer your question? And they said, absolutely. Now, for our listeners, here's my question for you. What lesson was President Kimball trying to teach these newly called missionaries? It wasn't about the questions they were asking. The principle at hand that, uh, that uh, our friend was trying to teach us in Salt Lake, and, and by the way, this friend of mine, he was, act- he was a missionary in one of these meetings. That's how he knows this, is that he sat in this meeting. And uh, he, President Kimball, he's not trying to give them all the answers. He's trying to teach them that they can find the answers on their own, that they don't need the prophet to hold their hand. Especially, I mean, what a better lesson to teach a newly called group of missionaries than look, when you go out into the field, you have the power to find the answers. You have the power to seek truth, whether that's through Revelation, the scriptures, words of the living prophets. You have the power and i've just showed you how to do it now go do it on your own and with that story please enjoy my conversation with david sell today i have the awesome opportunity to have a wonderful conversation with david sell david how are you doing today
1: i'm doing well
0: thank you so just Good for yeah thank you just just for our listeners uh, david sell brother brother sell to me uh, we were connected uh, in 2010. I attended high school in Mesa, Arizona, at a school named Heritage Academy. And Brother Cell happened to be the seminary teacher at Heritage uh, for several years. And for all the years that I was there, um, I graduated in 2013. But I think, Brother Cell, you taught me my junior or my sophomore, junior, and senior year, yep, if okay. I remember correctly. And then I, I left on a full time mission and we kept in contact. And, uh, after, and just kind of just some background just for, for the listeners and how we stayed connected. Uh, when I served a full-time mission, I decided that I wanted to pursue teaching uh, seminary for the church. And when I got home, I reached out to Brother cell because he was my seminary teacher, right? And uh, when I asked him about what it takes to be a seminary teacher, he actually offered me uh, an opportunity to observe his class and maybe teach a little bit. And so uh, we stayed in contact there, and eventually, three years later, I got hired and uh, now Brother Cell and I are co-workers in a way. <laughs> um, yeah, right. We're both teaching in Mesa, and uh, so we've stayed connected through the years. And uh, Brother Cell is what uh, what I would call nothing short of a spiritual giant, and I felt like today would be—he uh, he would be an awesome opportunity to interview today to uh, talk about an important topic that we'll get to in a second. But before we get there, Brother Cell, would you just give us, uh, for our listeners, a little brief background about you, your family— maybe your work experience, church experience, callings that you've held, and just to get us uh, to know you a little bit better. Can we start there?
1: Yeah, yeah, you bet. First, I would never characterize myself as a giant in anything. (laughs) I would. Thanks for that, but I have to disagree with that. Uh, But I I, uh, grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. That's where I was uh, born and raised, and and mostly raised by my grandma. And uh, Anyway, when I was in high school, I had some uh, pretty important experiences that changed my heart about church and the gospel and uh, started uh, being a little more diligent with I guess uh, being faithful in the church. So I got a strong testimony when I was a sophomore in high school and served a mission in Taipei, Taiwan. Had a great time there and uh, loved that. After I came home, I moved down to Utah Valley uh, started teaching at the MTC and taught there for five years while I I finished school. And and, uh, at the end of my I guess my junior years, is when I started uh, pre-service or seminary at BYU. So did that for a couple of years and student taught for a year at Canyon View Junior High. and um, I think it's Orem. Is it Linden or Orem? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It's right on the border there a- in Utah. Anyway, after a year of that, I was uh, hired and shipped down here to Mesa, Arizona. And so taught here at uh, Mesa High and Westwood and Heritage and um, Carson Junior High. And now I'm at uh, Red Mountain High School. So, that's my that's kind of my career path a little bit as far as that marriage goes. And so,
0: uh,
1: yeah. So, what other things were you interested in? Uh,
0: yeah, just a little bit about your family and, uh, and oh, yeah. any co- your current calling and callings that you've held in your ward and just anything there.
1: Oh sure, sure. Uh, well, my family. I'm married to my beautiful Alicia, Alicia Nelson cell so, and uh, we met while we were at. Uh, she was actually graduated BYU. I was just finishing up at UVSC before I transferred over over to BYU, and uh, so we met there in our singles warden, and and, I convinced her somehow to marry me, and we've been married for 19 years now, and we have four children. My oldest son was just, uh, received his mission call to the Ogden, Utah Mandarin Chinese speaking mission, so we're really excited about that in our family, and I also have a, a daughter who's a junior this year, and another daughter who's an eighth grader and a son who is in the third grade this year so great kids we are really blessed to have them as far as church stuff goes um just kind of run the mill serve wherever you're called to do you know gospel doctrine teacher or elders quorum serving in the elders quorum leadership or war leadership or high council right now i'm uh, serving as the state clerk which is a Really nice calling because I don't have to make any decisions. I just do what I'm told. And <laughs> it's a nice break. So it's pretty great.
0: Right, That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for that uh, good introduction. I think that, that's a good start for us. Now, uh, to introduce our topic... Uh, well, let me ask, brothers, Actually, I can ask you to to introduce the topic. So basically, guys, for those who are listening, uh, how I basically go about these interviews is I usually contact somebody who I feel like has something good to say about the gospel, and I ask them to chew on, uh, you know, or, or ponder uh, different subjects in their own mind before we actually decide on a on a topic that we're going to talk about. And so I did the same with Brother Sal, and I said, "Hey, Brother Sal, uh, I want to interview you. Uh, what's a topic? Would, would you think about a topic that we might be able, that you're passionate about, that we might be able to discuss for thirty minutes?" And uh, with that, he, he wanted to. Well, well, Brother Sal, let me let me ask you. Would you introduce the topic that you picked? And can I ask you why why this topic uh, right now in your life? Why did this topic come to mind when you were thinking about something we could talk about?
1: Yeah, in fact, it came pretty quickly. Uh, the topic I chose is. Uh, I guess we call it skills to seek truth. Uh, that's been on my mind a lot for one reason is because I'm teaching an institute course this semester uh, called skills to seek truth. It's just a customized course that I've created. Uh, and the reason it came to my mind is because it, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that um, everybody wants to know in this, we, we live in a volatile world with a lot of information uh, in the church, outside the church, political, like everywhere we go, There's just messages coming from everywhere, and they're not all positive, and it's hard to sift through those. So I feel like uh, we need to gain certain skills to know how do we sift through truth, how do we detect what's right from what's wrong, Uh, and it really does take skill. So uh, I feel like there's a lot of great resources out there, a lot of great books that have been written by good gospel scholars that, that don't just write about good stuff, but they also... Uh, kind of identify the process. How do you go through, how do you sift through information? How do you understand what, what it's saying about church history or anything that can be considered controversial inside the church, outside the church? How do we work through that? I think we need skills and, and the right attitude, and that'll take us a long way.
0: So, so it sounds to me like instead of just giving Members of the church, the the correct answers, if you will, you're maybe trying to teach them how to find the answers on their own. That is is that fair to say?
1: Absolutely. That, that's uh, that's that's Elder Bednar's approach. Is don't don't as we all know, and and I feel like the wrong thing to do is to just hand somebody an answer.
0: Absolutely. And I, actually, it's funny that you said. That. I was going to bring him up as well. I've I've heard him say several times, whether it's on videos or in live Q and A sessions with him. Uh, where somebody will ask a really good uh, question, and he'll say, "I don't, I don't want to deprive you of the excitement of finding the answer <laughs> to your question." So go, uh, go buy a, a you know, an inexpensive blue paperback copy of the Book of Mormon, and go through and read and highlight everything you can about X, Y, Z, and you'll find your answer. I just, uh, what in, in, you know, I could see some people saying, "Oh, that's a cop out." You know, he just maybe he doesn't know the answer, but it's like, no, I, I, I would assume that he knows the answer and he's being sincere that. What what does he say? Is does it come from him where he says, "Uh, most effective gospel truths are caught, not taught." Is that That's him? That's right.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah.
0: Which uh, I, I
1: don't know if you remember back in our uh, at the Heritage Seminary in our seminary days, I had that written in permanent ink on the board. The um, The gospel is caught, not taught. So you got to have your yes. hands open, Your hands open to receive it. Not
0: uh, just be handed it. Yes. So I do remember that being three years in your classroom. Now, uh, let me just say this for anyone listening to the podcast who has had has or has had a uh, child in seminary in the past. I don't know. How long has it been? Four or five or six years. uh, Mm -hmm. Seminary students, the curriculum that that is being taught to them um, is it's changed from how do I want to say this? It's changed from scripture mastery to what we now call doctrinal mastery. And part of the doctrinal masteries, you know, we're learning about the atonement plan of salvation, the commandments, you know, priesthood and priesthood keys, temple, and a few other ones. But one of the topics that uh, seminary students are learning, and I want to ask you if your course has anything to do with this brother. So if you get any material from here, it's called acquiring spiritual knowledge. And uh, all seminary students around the world, if they're uh, enrolled in seminary, would be uh, learning the these skills called and the topic is acquiring spiritual knowledge. So Brother Cell, have you taken your course that you've created for your institute? Are you taking anything from there? Is it similar in any way? Is it how is it different? How, what What can you tell us about that?
1: yeah, the the acquiring spiritual knowledge uh, aspect of doctrinal mastery is the real basic fundamentals of how to approach any question that we have. And so what we're, gonna, what we're doing in this course is kind of broadening that into 14 weeks of, uh, for instance, uh, the first week we're going to study first what is truth. The second week we're going uh, to see the topic for the second week is becoming a seeker. How do you become a seeker and how do you approach seeking truth? The third week is evaluating church history. The fourth one is approaching difficult questions and then relying on the Lord during times of doubt and crisis and then being patient. So a lot of these skills that, and attitudes that we need to have to to kind of come out on the other side. Uh, I, I, Bruce Hafen and Marie Hafen, Bruce Hafen used to be a member of the Quorum of the Seventy and was released, I guess it's been many years now. But he and his wife wrote a book called Faith is Not Blind and just published a couple of years ago. But they use a phrase called the simplicity beyond the complexity. And the p- complexity, they're talking about those, those uncomfortable feelings that we feel when, we, when we're confronted with information that we don't know how, what to do with it. We don't know where it came from. We don't know if it's true. We don't know if it's false. And it sometimes feels like it could be both. Uh, and that process we go through to work through that complexity brings us to a simplicity of what we know and the things that matter the most the essentials. And then we can kind of let the other things go and put them on the side a little bit until we gain further information. And so I love that phrase, the simplicity beyond the complexity. And that's kind of what we're trying to do in this institute course is help them gain the skills to work through this complexity.
0: You know, it's funny that you bring up that book. Um, I had uh, my mission president was in town probably over a year ago, and uh, we went out to dinner with him and some of his family when he was here. And it's funny that you mentioned that book. He uh, he brought that book and gave it to me as a gift, oh, and awesome. he, he he said. Uh, any seminary teacher, any, any member of the church, but especially a seminary teacher needs to read this book that there are, there are some principles that, and you've mentioned one right now that uh, Bruce and Marie Hafen give that every single seminary student, every youth in the church needs to understand because now nowadays you go on the internet and uh, you're going to find lots of what we might call half truths, right? We, we find, and, and I don't know. And, and uh, I don't know exactly if he mentions this in the book, but uh, the idea that Satan will give us some details about church history or the world will give us history, you know, church history details, but they will leave out a lot of context. And uh, oh, yes, right. and anyway, that's just one of the principles that I really appreciated uh, learning from my mission president and from this book. So uh, thank you so much. And, and that book, again, is called, is it Faith is Not Blind? Is that the, is that the title? Yeah, faith,
1: faith is Not Blind. That's right. Uh-huh. Okay. Very, yeah, great book.
0: Okay. So for our listeners, you can go check that out from uh, Bruce and Marie Hafen. Now, Brother Sal, can, can we start? So you said the first course that you're teaching the first week of your course is uh, discovering or, or rather uh, understanding what truth is. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep.
1: That's the, that's the beginning of the course. Right? So, discussing
0: that. So if you've already prepared some things there, can we talk about that for a second, just for our listeners? Yeah, I, think, I think it's a great foundation to start. If we're going to talk about skills to seeking truth, well, we need to know what truth is and then we can get into some of the principles to actually uh, seek it. So let's start there. What can you teach us? What is truth? What have the brethren said about truth? What do the scriptures say? What have you learned as you've prepared this course? Uh,
1: I think that the, the most basic definition we've got is in section 93. It's also mentioned in the Book of Mormon, of course. But truth is the knowledge of things as they are, and as they were, and as they are to come. That's that's what it is. It's just things that exist, and the way that, and the way that they actually exist, not not our interpretation of those. Mm-hmm. So that just leaves us with the challenge of the inherent challenge of gaining knowledge of what they are, and what they were, and what they are to come. Which is why we need God to help us through that, uh, to enlighten our minds, and to lead us in the right directions through our diligent effort so that's where our attitudes come in a soft heart comes in uh and and the basic skills that we need to know kind of where to go and how to go about the process
0: so uh let me ask this question and this is uh i'm gonna maybe challenge you i'm gonna play devil's advocate for one second yeah good uh so we're talking about truth right Uh, I've, whether it's online or friends in real life who I've talked to who are not members of the church or or religious in any way, I've started to um, hear this philosophy of men, if you will, that there actually is no absolute truth. So you and I are about to talk about how there is absolute truth. So can we just address that right out of the gate? How do we, how do we, what counsel advice do you give for somebody who doesn't believe in absolute truth? And how do we go about, you know... Not that, not that it's our job to convince them, but how do we respond to a, a claim such as that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you, you hit it on right there. It, it's Maybe not that it's not our job to convince them, but there's no way to convince somebody who doesn't want to believe uh, in absolute truth. And, and I feel like when we, have, uh, when we face that, whether we're wondering that ourselves or, or someone else is wondering that, we have to kind of go back to what's our starting point? Um, it reminds me of Elder Oaks gave a talk years ago to the Seminaries and Institute personnel, and he kind of talked about how often when we talk to other members of the church about our faith, or in, including Christians or non-Christians, because we're coming from a different starting place of how we see the Savior and His role, or we end up in different places, and often that's where that's where people feel like, we're not Christian or we're not this because we don't end up in the same place because our starting point is different. So I think when we have a starting point of God is truth and what God says is if he exists, he is truth. That's what what guides our thinking. Uh, If you don't have that starting point, it would be hard to say that there's an absolute truth because uh, we we basically base, as we can see today in in the political climate, everything's based on how I feel about something. Uh, Much of it is about feelings, not about logic or uh, not about facts. It's just, I feel a certain way towards something that becomes my truth. So it requires some humility and it requires a step back to how do I, how could I evaluate truth? Are there some obvious things that no matter what I think about them, they just are that way? Uh, And not try to change the way that things are, but base our lives on the way that on the truths that we found and then build off from there and allow, uh, add more truth, I guess. I don't know if that that makes any no, sense.
0: No, it does. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, the question is not whether or not absolute truth exists or not, but rather it starts with, is there a God? Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, I guess we could call that a truth if you will. But, uh, you know, you've probably heard the funny phrase that, you know, what do you, what do you say when somebody says, uh, uh there is no absolute truth. Will you say, well, is that true? Right. It, it's it, that the phrase in and of itself doesn't make any sense. Right. There's no absolute <laughs> truth because other because then that's not true. Right there. That Thanks. that phrase is not true anyway. So uh, with with that, can I ask this question uh, in, in preparation for your course for a Latter-day Saint who maybe is just getting started into the idea that there is absolute truth in that? um there there are resources for them to go to discover this truth. What, what would be and I don't know if this might be in some of your preparation for your course that you've done, but where do you send somebody who's brand new let's say and, and not necessarily like a sunbeam understanding but I'm talking about like a young adult you know you know or a high schooler maybe who uh, wants to start on this journey of discovering truth where where do you send them where, where do they go? what advice counsel do you give to these individuals?
1: Yeah, no, That's a great a great question. Uh, first thought that comes to my mind is a, a book that Robert Millet wrote, uh, I'm thinking maybe 10 or, or 12 years ago, uh, where he tells a story about a student at a university that he was t- at an institute who was a great stellar student. He was a convert to the church. He was uh, on the leading councils of the institute there. And his parents wanted him to come home so they could Share uh, just a load of anti-Mormon information they'd had with them. So he came to to Brother Millet to say, you know, what do I do? My family's gonna. This is the plan. They already told me what they want me to read these things. I'm not sure what to do. And he said, well, y- you can read, go home and read them, but I would suggest that you don't. Uh, and what that did is the young man got a little nervous and said, well, why don't why don't you want me to read it? I mean, and if it's all false stuff, then shouldn't it not matter? You know, uh, and he says, "Well, no, it's." And Brother Mill's response, that I really loved. He said, "It's not that. It's not because of the falseness or the truthfulness of it. It's because of the feeling that it conveys. It's the the negative aspect. Uh, what? It's not just information. It's put in your mind. It's how the information is presented to you." So, what the young man did is he went home, and, and Brother Mill actually never saw him again. He never came back to institute, and hmm. uh, and it wasn't. And he tried to reach out to him, and the young man wasn't because of the information that he read or found out about or whatever it was it was because of how he found out about it and I feel like that's it that's a big deal uh, so when somebody is is wondering about something I'll send them to some of the amazing resources we have so many resources today beginning with the gospel topic essays if it's a church history question or or something else great start there uh, but I'll also give a caution of how you go to those resources matters just as much as the resource you're looking at what you're approaching it with the attitude of, well, I'm nervous about reading this because I'm going to find out something about like, You can't go in that way. It is, I want to know truth, but I know that God can guide me t- into truth and he'll help me see not only information, but he will help me to understand context, which makes a huge difference in how something's presented and, and what happened in the past or, uh, currently in social issues or with a brethren, or whatever it might be. So anyway, I think that's a long-winded answer up to send them to the scriptures to make sure they maintain a softened heart. Then send them to appropriate resources that the church has put out. And then I would send them to all, uh, all the great resources uh, that are out there. Over the last five or six years, I've been compiling talks. And I have about 30 talks compiled and seven or eight books and a whole bunch of websites Uh, of places that you can go to get different understanding of how to approach questions. And some of them address specific questions, some of them address attitudes, some of them address skills. Uh, And that's kind of how we're going to approach this class this semester.
0: So I just have uh, a couple thoughts on what you've shared. The first one is uh, going back to when, uh, after I got home from the full-time mission, you and I connected and and you allowed me to teach just a little segment of one of your seminary classes. And do you remember, And I learned a valuable lesson from this. Do you remember, it actually might've been me and Josh in the classroom together. Mm -hmm. And I think we were teaching, was it Nebuchadnezzar's dream? I think, right? The stone cut out of the mountain without hands. I'm pretty sure that was the lesson. And uh, so we taught the lesson and I, I, you know, in my proud heart, I, I thought it went really well. And uh, we asked, you know, we talked about you you giving us feedback. And one of the things you said just hit me in the heart in a good way. And uh, one of the things you said, it's related to what you're talking about now, is you said uh, one of the things that you should be doing if you want to teach seminary is you should be teaching from the scriptures. You didn't hardly teach from the scriptures. And uh, as you say, you know, an individual who's looking for truth, their heart will be softened as they read the Word of the Lord. And so, I just, I just want to convey that because that's a lesson that I've learned uh, through you specifically. Is that now as I teach students here in Mesa, my only goal is to teach them how to study the scriptures. Um, And we use the scriptures to do that. You know what I mean? Um, So so that's my first thought. My second thought is about context. I want to make just a brief comment about that. I've come to the conclusion that, uh, and it's been true every time, one hundred percent of the time, with no exceptions. It's been true that when I've had a question about church history, especially, uh, you know, when I hear something about what's happened in the past, whether it's Joseph or Brigham or Meadow Mountain Massacre or polygamy, blacks in the priesthood, you know, pick your poison, if you will. Anytime I found out about one of those, and I've been troubled about it, it isn't. It doesn't take very long. Uh, after discovering the context of what was actually happening at the time, and you know, who was involved, the situation, you know, all of the details, uh, my my concerns every single time have been dismissed every time without, uh, and I teach my students that, right? That if you ever have a question, you're probably missing the context, or, or not if you have a question, rather. if you have a concern, if you have a doubt about church history and, and how things worked back then, you're probably missing some context. Um, how, how do you feel about? It? Can we talk about that for a second? How do you feel about you that idea?
1: I think that's that's one of the foundational things to understand is we you don't learn truth in uh, by taking sound bites and running with those. Uh, Sherry Dew and her she has a talk uh, called "Will You Engage in a Wrestle" and, uh, and then a book called "Worth the Wrestle," where she expounds a lot on those ideas of searching and seeking. But uh, she talks about these clever sound bites that are put out there on social media. or just everywhere and we buy those it's basically learning the gospel through youtube Mm -hmm. uh that's just that's just not the way you're going to learn the gospel or learn answers about anything Are am i willing to engage in this wrestle am i willing to become a seeker uh and if i am then it begins with my heart has to be right which is i'm willing to put in the time to learn the context to learn uh, not just what that person supposedly said or did what was going on around them? What were the other people around them doing? How did it impact that person individually? What was their personal struggle that may have led them to do that? When we begin to see, you know, in the context of church history, when we begin to see people as human beings, it literally changes everything. It changes the whole landscape of of what we see. And it uh, reminds me of Elder Maxwell. Uh, One of my favorite quotes I read from his biography uh, years ago was We have to be careful not to take these church history people, our our heroes, and wipe the sweat off them Mm -hmm. because they were real people going through real struggles and they were not saccharine saints with tinsel traits. Uh, But it's far more faith, far more faith promoting to see what they actually dealt with and how they worked through that and came through to become who they became and and to do what they did. So I love uh, that. sound bites need to go away and real real searching needs to take its place.
0: I, I want to give our listeners on this topic of context and sound bites. I want to give our listeners just one example. And and the example I'm about to give, it's not necessarily a cure all for this issue, right? In the issue I'm talking about is polygamy. I just want to yeah. give one piece of of context that may help to understand a little bit about what was going on back then. Uh and recently through some studies I've I've come across this information. And by the way, for those who are listening, uh, you you don't always you're not always able to find 100% context within five minutes. You know it's it's not always a simple Google search Google search that can give you all of the. Sometimes it takes months and years of of waiting and being patient and pondering. Anyway, recently I've, I've come across this information. Um, a lot of individuals uh, out of the church and I guess some in the church they have an issue with Joseph Smith's polygamy. And specifically that, uh, I guess, kind of on record or on the records of the church, that one of the youngest wives that he took was 14 years old. And I just want to give one piece of information again, not that it solves everyone issues about this, this reality, but the piece of context that I've come across is that it wasn't actually, and I have to get a source. I'll put this in the description. There wasn't actually Joseph Smith who was seeking out her name was Helen Mar Kimball was, uh, was her name. And it wasn't actually Joseph seeking her out. Actually, the way it came about, the context actually, at least in, in my heart and mind, it actually helps me understand a little bit more about what was going on. It was actually Heber C. Kimball, her father, who actually approached Joseph and said, Joseph, I would like to be connected to you spiritually. And uh, my my only as, as I understand it, my only daughter who is available for marriage is Helen. So would you please marry my daughter? And, uh, you know, I I don't know, you know, all the record of every single conversation they had about that isn't recorded. So we don't know. But that's how it came about. It wasn't Joseph uh, looking for Helen Mark Kimball. It was actually her father who proposed it. So, again, not that that solves all the issues for everybody, but that's one more piece of information. And maybe we're going to come across more that makes more, you know, in 20 from our 2020 lenses, maybe helped to, to make more sense.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and 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 then following up even still with with Helen Kimball of following her through her life and seeing that when they were in Utah and and the churches being raided by the government, she came to the defense of polygamy, uh, and these these were not women who were just abused and and forced to do certain things. So that context makes all the difference. It really does help a lot.
0: Yeah you, you make a great point I think I think you know the world and even members of the church take on this uh this feeling or this this idea that polygamy was like Warren Jeffs' polygamy, right? It, it was sure. the fundamentals, and it and it just simply was not. I mean, you look at the records, you look at the testimonies of of the women who were in polygamy. I mean, you look at the the members of the church when they stopped polygamy in you know 1890 or 1904, depending on which declaration you're looking at. They didn't want to stop, right? They okay. they enjoyed it. it. It was their life. They had a testimony of it, and so it just goes to show that sometimes we view. And again, this, this podcast is not about polygamy. This is about what Brother Cell is talking about, sound bites, right, or leaving out the context. Once you understand a little bit more about it, and again, not that these will solve every issue for every person and every feeling they have about it, but more and more study reveals that maybe it's not what we think it is.
1: That's right. I, I agree that with that wholeheartedly, and I feel like there's definitely a, a, on occasion I'll come across a, a student or just a friend or someone that we know that just doesn't want to talk about it you know let's just let's just shove it aside and pretend like it doesn't exist but they they have a tendency to harbor these negative feelings about it and i I feel like a truth seeker wants to know truth period i want to see it faced like what is it Mm -hmm. i'll seek to understand the context i'll seek to understand everything else but i i can't be afraid of truth because that leaves a crack in our foundation when we're unwilling to seek after it
0: absolutely now, I had just one more thought. Not to not to go back too far, but I just want to clarify for our listeners. You mentioned that Robert L. Millet had the experience with that young man, and and you used the term uh, brother cell. You used the term anti-Mormon material. I mm-hmm. think that's what you said. Can yeah. you just clarify on what that? Because I think that's a cultural term that we use. That yeah. and can, mm-hmm. can you just clarify what does that mean? What how do we know if we come across that? And and just a little bit about that. How would you clarify?
1: That's, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, uh, Elder Oaks, Downey Oaks, gave a talk in 1985 called "Reading Church History," and what he did in that talk was pretty interesting. He gave different examples, four different examples of the same topic. Basically, he took the first vision and and here's four different writers and what they wrote about the first vision. And the first one was a faithful perspective. The second one was a faithful member of the church uh, that. Didn't feel as faithful. The third one was a member of the church that felt uh, almost a little bit doubtful. And, that, and the fourth one, I, I believe, was not even a member of the church, just, just some. And it used words like uh, um, words that just cast doubt on mm-hmm. the veracity of anything that happened. And what he was trying to point out is you can have the ex- this same story uh, written by four people. And they're, all of them are just, quote, unquote, telling the story, right? how they tell the story makes all the difference and that's what and i think that's what it it means i think the most uh sneaky if we're going to call it anti-mormon or whatever we want to call it uh, just those who are oppositional the most effective ones are the sneakiest ones the ones that uh tell the story but just slip in words that are going to make you doubt or or feeling just make you feel uncomfortable about it and that doesn't mean that uh the per- I, I believe that whoever's telling the story needs to tell the whole truth that this is this is what we know uh but you don't you can do that without casting doubt on on it or just tell the information and let the person decide it for themselves and, and instead of your bias being put into it so i think that's the danger of what of what i was referring to
0: i 100 percent agree so just to to my solidify it in my own mind what, what maybe what you're saying and and what I'm getting from it is anti-Mormon material. It's, it's not, it's, how do I want to say it? Its main purpose is to cast doubt. And, and, I think, I mean, I I've, I think I've done my fair share of reading what you might call anti-Mormon material, whether I'm trying to learn about a difficult topic or learn about a different sides of the argument. But one thing that I've realized, and, and I'll give an example, and I don't really encourage anyone. I mean, I, I guess you can. One of the big what you might call anti-material sources that has popped up in the past 10 years is something called the CES letter. Right. And I just want to say, and, and I've so longly, and, and I actually started, I want to write a rebuttal to, uh, and I've started to write a, a short rebuttal. To some of the points that are made in that and basically for anyone who hasn't heard of that basically it's it's a man who got excommunicated several years ago and then he wrote a well i guess he wrote it before and that's kind of what it got him excommunicated but he wrote about um every doubt that he could think about uh in the church and he compiled it in one little pamphlet and uh as i read some of that to understand because actually i had a friend in college approach me and he said hey you're a faithful member of the church I, i'm reading this stuff what can you tell me what what why you know why is the church lying to me about all these things and told me all these you know, things that he'd be learning in the CES letter?
1: And as I read
0: it, he, he asked me to read it and come back and talk to him about it. And I came back and I said, dude, like, you, ha- you, can't, be, you can't really take this guy seriously. Do you understand his arguments and do you, do you hear the tone in his writing? He, he's not trying to give you truth. He's trying to tear you down. And, and I think that's, that's been my solidified experience to know that when, when you're reading something, and, and like Robert Millett said, you just – the feeling, right? The feeling behind it is not uplifting. It's not helpful in any way. Um, and it's not necessarily the, – the point of, of the CES letter and other anti-material, the point of it is not to teach you truth. It's to destroy your faith. And uh, the reason we know that is because they leave out a lot of context, right? If they wanted the truth, like you yeah. said, they would teach the whole truth, right? Is that fair?
1: I, I think that's, that's totally fair. And what you said reminds me of uh, it, the church did a fireside when the first when Saints Volume 1 came out. And if you remember, for young single adults, it, they did it in Nauvoo, right outside the temple.
0: With Elder Cook, is uh, that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. Uh, one, well, one of the church historians, Kate Holbrook, answered a question. Uh, I think she did a, a tremendous job. One of, the, one of the first questions was to the effect of how come some of this stuff has been hidden from me? You know, how come some of the stuff that's in Saints nobody's ever told me about? And her answer was, uh, was it hidden from you, or did you just never read before? Because uh, yeah. it's been known forever by, very, by, by a lot of people. And even some seminary institute material uh, years ago in the 60s, you know, poly- there was much more about polygamy, polygamy that was taught. But it became so, I guess, uninteresting that they removed that from their curriculum uh, until it became interesting again, or kind of a topic, and now it's back in the curriculum to be able to address it. And so, the fact that you don't know about something, uh, the assumption that it was hidden from me, uh, really speaks to your laziness more than it's more. <laughs> no, not to offend anybody, but it speaks to someone's laziness more than it speaks to the church hiding. And and certainly, maybe the church doesn't feel a need to address everything, nor is it that their job to address everything. It's Absolutely. Up to us as seekers, right? We're seekers. I can find it out for myself, and, and the church doesn't have to, have to teach us. They can't teach us everything, so yeah, I feel it, like she
0: answered I, that really well. I, I agree. I don't, I don't think it's the church's responsibility to uh, make a list of every single concern that could ever happen and give a, a straight answer to it, right? And that's what Elder Bednar saying, right? You ask a great question. Go find the answer, right? I, I could so, just tell you, but it's not going to stick, and it's like the quote on your board, right? The gospel's caught, not taught. Um, that's right. So that that's great. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, brought us back to that young, single, adult fireside. I, for those who haven't seen it, I, I'd invite you to go watch that. You can probably just find it by searching "Saints and Elder Cook" or something on Google. Yeah, I think
1: it was September. I'm thinking September 2018, maybe. Okay. Something like that. Really fall. Yeah, awesome. and then you know this all goes back to the this idea. If we we need skills to seek. Truth and if I have a heart that's willing and I I keep my I keep my mind and my heart always in the scriptures I'm always based in the scriptures because as other Bednar said that one of the principal purposes of scripture is to invite the Spirit into our life I keep my heart soft through the scriptures and then I and then I learn skills and and I get to work uh, and that that takes us a long long way
0: yeah 100 percent agreed now uh, if we had another hour I just I would want to hit on the idea of personal accountability because that's what I'm hearing from you and from Kate Holbrook is, you know, we each have the opportunity to study. And and maybe none of us have even thought about going to study church history before, you know, someone, one of our friends told us about it or or we read it online or whatever it is. Um, But I just want to make, uh, you know, testify to our listeners that uh, there is a huge uh, benefit of learning something that we call personal accountability or uh the church sometimes calls it self-reliance. Uh that is definitely a principle that that we could work on. Now, in the interest of time, brother Cell, mm-hmm. can I ask you uh is there anything that we haven't talked about yet in, in kind of maybe in conclusion is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to bring up uh on the idea of of seeking truth uh that we've been kind of in the same realm that we've been talking already.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know if anything in addition but I I just want to emphasize you can't overemphasize the importance of having a soft heart in everything that I do and allowing the Lord to guide me in choosing uh, faith over skepticism. i can I can have the same question with faith that I could have with skepticism. I just get to choose which one of those things are. Uh, and And I just in in adding my testimony as well, this pro, this is interesting to me, this whole process because of my own process. This is not something I'm reading from somebody else, and like, oh, I oh, I'll be interested in that topic. This is my own experience. I've had many questions. The first being, serving my mission in Taiwan, uh, a, a man brought a pamphlet of information about the church for a missionary, uh, one of my companions, so I saw some of that, and it caused a lot of questions in me that I didn't never had thought about. I was just a young missionary, and I wondered about those things. Back in those days, we didn't have access to a lot of resources with no technology. <laughs> that was back in the snail mail days admissions and you know, in the early nineties, but, uh, those questions remained for a long time until technology and information was available. And I had access to things and I realized, realized I could find answers. Uh, it becomes this excitement that fills your heart and you, you become free to have whatever question you want and you feel good about your questions because you know, you can find answers and it may take time. And you may have to put those uh, in a certain place while you gain more knowledge. but uh, and sometimes the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. That's often the case. Uh, and And that's a healthy thing to experience as long as our heart is being maintained in, in a soft state. So if I can do that, I can and I'm willing to search. Uh, i'm I'm certain we can find the peace that we want and the and information that we want and be able to strengthen ourselves and and those around us in the faith.
0: What you're saying uh, reminds me, I think it was Elder Callister, uh, Tad Callister, who said that, and I have to get the exact quote, I don't remember if it was a book or a talk he gave, um, but I'm pretty sure, uh, paraphrasing, he said, look, I don't know everything, I don't know all the answers in the church, but there are some things I do know. I know that Jesus is the Christ. I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know the Book of Mormon is true, and I and I and I know the priest. I know the priesthood is real. I know that the temples are necessary. I, I know all these things, and I'm not willing to give those truths up for a few things that I don't know. And it, to me, brother said it sounds like on your mission that 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 was kind of you, right? You had a solid testimony. In some things, you didn't have the answers to everything, but you all—I mean, you were patient. You were patient. You had to wait until maybe years later, like you said, until technology yeah. came around where you could actually find the answers to that. How, how do you feel about that idea?
1: Yeah, i, I, I totally agree with that um, wholeheartedly. We there's some certain things we have our foundational truths that we know. You know, what you said also reminded me of Elder Holland uh, in 2014 spoke to Seminary Institute. He had everyone sending questions. And at one point he says, well, I've answered similar your questions, now I have a question. You know, what conceivable doctrinal, historical, social, societal issue could ever take you from these foundational truths that you know that you know? So there's, he, he basically says there's foundational truths, then there's second tier, third tier, fourth tier. Those are things that we'll address as we grow, uh, but we cannot let those fourth tier questions destroy our foundation. Uh, on the things that we know that we know we know we've experienced the love of the savior we know that we have felt um the spirit testify that the book of mormon is true and it feels my heart every day as i study it and as i follow the prophets i know that my life is happier those there's just those things that we know we build on those and the rest comes with time and and some things may never come but with often with those things i've noticed so far i don't care about those things that much anymore the things that i thought where I needed to know, I just didn't, don't need to know them anymore. They don't, they don't matter to
0: me. They're not foundational in any That's way. Right. They, they may be fun to know, and they may be fun yeah. to talk about, but, uh, they hold no real substance, which, uh, I think we could all learn a lesson in, especially myself. Uh, yeah. Sal, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this important topic of seeking truth. I really appreciate you.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to do it. I, I love talking about it, and I appreciate you are doing a great work. This has uh, been fun.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with a friend. We'll catch you next time on the Faithful Perspective Podcast.